Welcome to LifeBridge Online on this Sunday morning. I'm glad you're here and whether you're watching live online right now or you're going to watch later on demand, everyone is welcome. We're glad you're here. This is a time of teaching where we seek to bridge the gap between biblical learning and radical living. And um, I just want to remind you that in-person services are taking place right now at 9.30 and then another service at 11 uh, with social distancing in place. And apparently we're going to be wearing masks uh, next Sunday as the new law goes into effect on Monday. But I, we realize not everybody's ready to regather, so that's why we're doing this. I'm glad you're here. I count it an honor to be able to do this. Much rather do it to people in person, live with reaction. But trusting the Lord is going to use this for His glory and for your good. And next week we will have uh, no online teaching from here. Uh, next uh, weekend, which is July 4th weekend. I don't know. Maybe we'll run a rerun. I don't know, but it won't be fresh teaching. That much I know. So uh, today, though, what we want to do is start a new series, a new series called Surrender, Wisdom's Path to Success. Surrender, Wisdom's Path to Success. And we're going to dive in to Proverbs chapter 3 over the next Eight weeks. Now, what comes to mind when you hear the word surrender? Okay, what, maybe put in the comments. What comes to mind when you hear the word surrender? Maybe you think defeat, loser, punishment, humiliation. I bet no one thinks success. And let me flip that around. When you hear the word success, what comes to your mind? When you hear the word success, you probably think winner, prize, uh, hard work, reward, wealth, maybe even popularity. Well, this series, Surrendering to Succeed, is one of many paradoxes that we find in the Bible. Even though the world wouldn't put surrender and success together, the Bible does in the book of Proverbs. But this is just one of many paradoxes that's in the Bible. In other words, the Bible teaches the way to save your life is to give it away. And the way to lose your life is to hold tight to it. The way to gain more in the Bible is by giving more away. The way up in God's eyes is seen as a way down in the estimation of the world. God says we must descend into greatness. And we become great in God's eyes when we become small enough to serve God and others like Jesus did. Well, another one of these kind of Bible paradoxes is surrender is wisdom's path to success. And what I want to do today is just kind of introduce us new and afresh to the book of Proverbs. We're going to study from here on out Proverbs chapter 3, but today I just want to make five simple observations about the book of Proverbs. And before we do that, let's take some time to ask God to work in our hearts. Let's pray together. Father, we come in the name of Jesus. It's the basis of His blood, His sinless life, His sacrificial death, His 
resurrection from the dead, his seating at the right hand of you. It's by his intercession that our prayers are answered. And so, Father, we come in his name and we ask that you would open our hearts to the book of Proverbs, that you would open our hearts to the wisdom that's found there. Lord, right now we're in very difficult times, globally and locally and nationally. There's confusion. There's a lot of hard questions. There's a lot of hard feelings. There's a lot of difficult issues. And Lord, to be quite honest, most of us, we're overwhelmed. And we really don't have the answers. But Lord, you are always the answer And your wisdom is what we need. So open our hearts today. And let us not just take this in to fill our heads. But Lord, let's take it to heart and apply wisdom to our current struggles, our current temptations, our current issues that we are struggling with and the people around us are struggling with. Lord, may we pass on the wisdom that is in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let's begin. Let's look at five observations about the book of Proverbs. And the first one is this. The book of Proverbs is one of five wisdom books in the Old Testament. One of five wisdom books in the Old Testament. What are those five books? That's Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. These five books are called the wisdom books, the poetical books. Uh, The Jewish uh, people called them the writings. And here's the thing I want you to get. There's five of these books. And if you want a firm grip on wisdom, then read these five books. And so let me just give you two suggestions. Uh, As we go through the study for the next eight weeks, uh, you can actually read the book of Proverbs, read one proverb a day, and you'll get through it in one month. There's 31 Proverbs, 31 days in most months. In fact, whatever day it is, you just read that proverb for the day. Or you could also read five Psalms a day. If you read five Psalms a day, you'll get through the book of Psalms in one month. And really, you could read Proverbs and pray Psalms, and I'm telling you, you would have a firm grip on God's wisdom. So that's just a a suggestion. Proverbs, one of five of the wisdom books. Second observation is this. The wisdom books reveal the heart of a surrendered life. The wisdom books reveal the heart of a life surrendered to the Lord. You see, these wisdom books center on the heart. The heart, you say, what is the heart, Chris? The heart is like the command center of one's life. When I think of the heart, I think of the bridge of the Starship Enterprise. I don't know if you're a Trekkie out there or not, but the bridge of the Starship Enterprise enterprise is where all the action takes place. It's where the decisions are made. It's where the arguments are made. It's where camaraderie, it's where really all of the big action of the Star Trek uh, series and movies, it happens at the bridge. And that's the same way about our hearts. It's the control center of our lives. 
In the Bible, the heart includes not just like we think of emotions, but it includes our minds, what we think. It includes our will and what we choose. It includes our emotions our, and what we feel. It's where choices are made that impact everything else in our life. Out of the heart flows our passions, our priorities, and our pursuits. In other words, out of the heart flows our life. And King Solomon, who wrote the book of Proverbs, says this in Proverbs 4.23, Watch over your heart, or guard your heart, or keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. What you are comes out of what's within your heart. King Jesus, who's wiser than Solomon, says this in Matthew 12, 34. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what we say and what we do begins in the heart. Jesus also said all of our sins pour forth from our hearts. Listen to what he says in Matthew 7. 20 through 23. And he was saying, That which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For with from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Wow. The heart is the heart of the problem. The heart is the heart of the problem. The wisdom books, all five wisdom books, reveal the heart of a life surrendered to the Lord, the living God, the covenant-keeping God, the great I Am. And so there's three things that kind of characterize all five of these books regarding the heart. And here they are. Their focus is on covenant loyalty to the Lord from the heart. Their focus is on covenant loyalty, covenant love, loyal love, hesed. We've talked about that term before in our studies. It's, it's, the, it's the loyal love to the Lord. These books tell us what happens when we choose to live in covenant loyalty and the consequences of doing so or not doing so. So there's a lot in these books about choices and about consequences. They teach us how to view life from God's perspective and how not to view life from God's perspective. Think about the book of Job. Lots of teaching in Job and Ecclesiastes is not necessarily things that you want to do. It's warning you, don't think this way. Don't approach life in this manner. So their focus is on covenant loyalty and its consequences. The second thing I want you to see is that their poetry reveals the inner desires of the heart more than the outer deeds of the body. These are called the poetical books for a reason, because they're filled with poetry. Why? Because they're dealing with the heart, and their language is about the desires of the heart, the 
passions of the heart and rather than the action and deeds so much of the body. Again, the book of Job, where so much of it is four guys just sitting or three guys sitting watching another guy sit in his suffering. There's not a lot of action. There's a lot of words and a lot of reflection. Do you realize that nearly 30% of the uses of the word heart are found in these five books, these poetical books? These books get to the heart of the matter when it comes to life. And that brings me to the third characteristic. Their goal is to fear the Lord in all aspects of life. Fear the Lord in all aspects of life. This phrase, fear the Lord, really drives the wisdom of God and the wisdom books. And you say, what is fear, Chris? Well, here's a good definition. Uh, There's many out there, but here's a good one. To fear God is to stand in awe of His righteousness, majesty, and power, and to trust Him by humbly depending on Him. When we think of fear, we sometimes think being scared and running away. But true fear of God draws us to God rather than drives us away from God. When we truly see God for who He is, one, we will be scared. We will be fearful because He is holy, high and exalted as we learned in Isaiah. And we are low in our sinfulness. He is high in His holiness. And so we do fear, but we also see that in that holiness, there's not only judgment, but there is abundant mercy. There is not only a a holiness and a righteousness, there is forgiveness and mercy. And so a true fear of the Lord is like what uh, you read about in the Narnia books, where they say, the Aslan character, who is a representation of Christ, they say, is he safe? And they're like, no, this lion isn't safe, but he's good. And that's the fear of the Lord. God is not a safe God. He is not a tame God. He cannot be controlled by us, but he is a good God. And so we fear him and we run to him to find forgiveness and acceptance, and love from this faithful God. Now, the wisdom books make it clear that the beginning of, the, that the beginning of wisdom, the continuation of wisdom, and the ultimate success of wisdom is all rooted into the fear of God. And I've found this chart to be helpful. If you will read all five of the wisdom books with the fear of God in mind, you'll see that these books really tell us, they kind of flesh out for me, what is the fear of God. And so all of them teach wisdom begins with fearing the Lord. And so I have in this chart each wisdom book, and we have different verses of each wisdom book. Uh, that tell us about the fear of God. And when you read the book of Job, the first wisdom book, we learn from the life of Job that the fear of the Lord is to know Him with a faith that will persevere even in the hardest of times. The Lord tells the devil in Job 1 and 2 that no one fears the Lord like Job does. 
And why do we know that? Because Job knows God and he lives a blameless, righteous life before God. In fact, the whole book of Job is not so much about suffering. It's about knowing God to the extent that you will fear him even in the most su- in the deepest of suffering. And that's exactly what the devil says. The devil says to God, does Job fear God for no reason? You protect him. Remove your protection and he will curse you. Well, the reality is this. Job knew God with a persevering faith, even in spite of suffering. And so in the book of Job, we see fear the Lord is to know him. In the book of Psalms, we learn that to fear the Lord is to praise him. And that's what Job did. When suffering came, he said, uh, blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. He praised the Lord. Well, when you look at the book of Psalms, let me just read you a couple verses. Uh, Psalm 43 He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and trust in the Lord. Psalm 96, 4. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. And then I love this one, Psalm 111, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. There's the obedience. His praise endures forever. And then the book of Ecclesiastes, which can be a difficult book to understand. We learn that the teacher in the book of Ecclesiastes, we learn from the teacher that to fear the Lord is to obey him. Now, I won't take you through all 12 chapters of Ecclesiastes. I don't have to. We can look at just Ecclesiastes 12, 13, which is in the last chapter, and it sums up the purpose of the book. And here's what it says. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep His commandments, because this applies to every person. To fear God is to obey Him. And then... Uh, the Oh, I skipped the book of Proverbs, the book we're even doing. I'm sorry, I, I totally messed that up. The book of Proverbs. We learn from Proverbs that to fear the Lord is to trust Him, to trust Him. And right here in Proverbs 3 that we're going to look at is that famous verse. It's my life verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. But 7 goes with it. Listen to Proverbs 3, 5, 6, and 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. But verse seven says, do not be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Trust in the Lord is to fear the Lord. So Job, fearing is knowing Psalms, fearing is praising. Proverbs, fearing is trusting. Uh, Ecclesiastes, fearing is obeying. And then the Song of Songs, okay? Uh, A book about marital covenant love. We learn from Solomon that the fear of the Lord is to love Him with all our heart. Now, I have to admit, that when you read the Song of Solomons, the phrase, fear of the Lord, doesn't, is not found there. But we know from the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, 
in Ephesians 5 in particular, that marital love, the, the love of marital covenant love, is a picture of our covenant love for the Lord. And so when I read Song of Songs 710, it says, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. To know the Lord is to love the Lord because he first loved us. So that's what fearing the Lord is for me. That's what the book, uh, the five wisdom books tell us. Now, this next observation, observation number three, is more about the book of Proverbs. So let's zero in on the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs teaches us how to become wise. It teaches us how to become wise. And so the first thing we want to do is define wisdom. What is wisdom? And here it is. Wisdom is skill in living life from God's perspective. Wisdom is when you see life as God sees it, you see it from the throne of God, and then you live accordingly. Uh, Proverbs is like a divine GPS system, a global positioning system. Uh, One of our missionaries is doing a, a video series on the gospel in black and white. And he's having a friendly conversation between a, uh, a black Dutch, or he might, I think he's English actually, but the, the, the two guys are having a conversation. And our missionary said this regarding race relations. We shouldn't look to the right for conservative answers. We shouldn't look to the left for liberal answers. The first thing we should do is look up to the Lord and get his perspective. You see, that's wisdom. That's wisdom. It's a global positioning system. So the question is this, how can I learn to live life from God's perspective? And Proverbs is very clear on this. Skill in living life from God's perspective comes from fearing the Lord. When you see life from his perspective, you fear him and you live by faith accordingly. And so uh, Proverbs helps, uh, helps us see that the fear of the Lord is the secret to seeing life from God's perspective. And it's the fear of the Lord that frees us to live godly in an ungodly world. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, and, and I hope you do, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 1. And let's just read the first seven verses of Proverbs 1, because those verses are really the purpose for why Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. And I just want you to see how much the purpose of this book is to gain wisdom as we fear God. Proverbs chapter 1. Let's begin in verse 1. The the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. And here's his purpose. To know wisdom and instruction. To discern the sayings of understanding. To receive instruction in wise behavior. Righteousness, justice, and... Equity. Listen, we will not solve the issues of injustice and, and, uh, and, and conflict between ethnicities 
until we see this from God's perspective. It's to give prudence to the naive and to the youth, knowledge and discretion. And it's not just for foolish people, it's for wise people. Look at verse 5. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. Listen, if you'll stick with us through this series on Proverbs 3, you will grow in wisdom. If you need wisdom, you'll get it. And if you're already wise, you will become wiser. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. And then he sums it up in verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so we see here that really the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And like all the other wisdom books... Proverbs should be read from the perspective of a surrendered life to our Creator and our Redeemer. Here's the facts. Proverbs tell us it's the Creator telling us how to live wisely in His creation. And the reality is this. We've rebelled against our Creator. And we've made a mess of things. And man, I don't have to prove that to you. All we have to do is wake up, examine our own hearts, and then start dealing with people, and we realize something's desperately wrong. We've rebelled against God. And what happens in the book of Proverbs? It's like your ultimate counseling session with the ultimate Dr. Phil. I don't know if that's a good comparison, but my point is this. You're getting counsel from the creator of the universe on how your life and how creation ought to operate. That's an amazing thing. So reading Proverbs, it's like a sit down where God gives you insights for how to live life in his creation out of a heart fully surrendered to him. Now, Proverbs is filled with insight for living in the throne room. There's insights for leaders. There's insights for the household, insights for families. There's insight for living in the marketplace. There's insights for business dealings. There's insights from the temple. There's insights for worship and and walking with God. And there's insights for the neighborhood, insights for relationships and friendships and neighbors. Listen. The wise person, the wise person lets the fear of the Lord play out to the very edge of all of their lives. And that's what Proverbs helps us do. So here's the fourth observation. How is God's wisdom revealed in Proverbs? What kind of book is Proverbs? Well, here's the fourth observation. Proverbs are short Sharp statements of truth that are easily passed on. They're short, sharp statements of truth that are easily passed on. And here's probably the biggest principle you can uh, keep in mind when you read the Proverbs, and it's this. Proverbs are not absolute promises from God, but they are God-given principles to see life from God's perspective 
so that we can live life from God's perspective. The important thing in that is they're not absolute promises. They are God-given principles. And so here's the thing. They're true. Don't get me wrong. This is the Word of God, and the Proverbs are true, but they aren't always absolutely true uh, in in the way they play out in this life. Sometimes they're only ultimately true in the life to come. Let me give you an example. Proverbs 22.6 says this, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, I know there's some translation issues with that verse, but taking that verse, according to what it says right there, sanctified common sense tells us that isn't an absolute promise. We all know where godly parents, we've seen it, where godly parents train up their children in godly ways, but the children in a fallen world with their own fallen nature choose to rebel. But sanctified common sense tells us It's generally true. Train a child early and consistently, and the likelihood is that they will follow that which you have trained them to do. Take Proverbs 16, 7 as another example. Here's what it says. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now, probably don't have to take too big a poll out there for how many of you ever lived in a pleasing way to the Lord and yet you've suffered and your enemies have attacked you. You don't have to go any farther than the Lord Jesus Christ. If anyone lived a sinless life that pleased the Lord in all things and yet how did his life end? His enemies attacked and ultimately crucified him. But the proverb is still true because ultimately in the end, in the kingdom to come, God says that every enemy Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. It will ultimately come true in the kingdom to come. And so what you want to see is that these are God-given principles. They're not absolute promises, but I want you to see this. These God-given principles are easily passed on to others especially by parents and disciple-makers. That's really a major purpose of the book of Proverbs. It's to help parents raise wise and godly children. It's really God's parenting manual for those who want to raise their kids to live life from God's perspective. In fact, right here in Proverbs 3, uh, verse 1, in the chapter that we're going to be studying the weeks to come, Proverbs 3, 1 says, My son, do not forget my teaching. I mean, right off the back there, right off the bat, it's talking about raising and instructing a son. In fact, here's the reality. Proverbs was written by a son who was taught wisdom by his father. Go to, back to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. These are the prob- Proverbs of Solomon the son of David, king of Israel. And then turn to chapter 4 and look in verses, um, (coughs) excuse me, chapter 4, verse 3. Solomon says, When I was a son, 
to my father, tender, and the only son in the sight of my mother. Then he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words. And so when you read the book of Proverbs, you're getting wisdom from one of the greatest fathers and the greatest sons in the Bible, David and Solomon. In fact, chapters 1 through 9, uh, every chapter either begins or is set up with the idea of, listen, my son, listen, my son, as I instruct you. But if you know your Bible, you know this, that both David and Solomon didn't always practice what they preached. And so that brings me to the fifth and final observation that is the greatest news that could ever uh, you could ever hear. And here's the fifth observation. Proverbs reminds us that wisdom is ultimately a person. Wisdom is ultimately a person and not just a principle and not just a life hack. Okay, we don't dive into the book of Proverbs and and figure out things that we're going to go set out to do to be successful. That's not what this series is about. This series is about the reality that ultimately Proverbs reminds us that wisdom is a person. In other words, wisdom is a who more than a what. Wisdom is a person more than a principle. One of the characteristics of the book of Proverbs when you read it is that wisdom is often personified as a person. In fact, as a lady, lady wisdom calls out to the foolish ones on the street. When you read through Proverbs, you see that. But ultimately, in the New Testament, we realize the ultimate personification, the ultimate person who is wisdom is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is wisdom. He is the Proverbs wrapped in flesh. Uh, Pastor and author J.A. Metter said that, and I love it. Jesus is wisdom. He is the Proverbs wrapped in flesh. He is wisdom incarnate. And so I want to end this lesson with the gospel according to Proverbs. And this is the foundation for the rest of our series. So when we come back after July 4th weekend, this will lay the foundation. And so here's what I want you to see is that, first of all, the gospel according to Proverbs tells us this. Jesus lived Proverbs for us. Jesus lived Proverbs for us. When you think about the book of Proverbs, it fills in the blank in Jesus's life from birth to manhood that the Gospels merely summarize with these truths. Luke 2.40 says this, The child Christ continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Luke 2.52 tells us this, Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Here's the idea. Jesus grew in wisdom. He lived the book of Proverbs for us. And so, you know, we don't have to wonder, what would Jesus do? Read the book of Proverbs. It shows us 
It tells us what Jesus would do and what Jesus wouldn't do. And it tells us why he would do it and why he wouldn't do it. Why? Because he feared God from a fully surrendered heart. You see, the book of Proverbs gives us insight into how Jesus faced everyday matters of life so that we too can grow spiritually, grow in wisdom, increase in spiritual strength, and grow in favor with God and others. But here's the reality. Jesus didn't just grow in wisdom as the son of Mary and Joseph. He was wisdom because he was the very son of God. 1 Corinthians 1, 30-31 says this, Because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, Let one who boasts, boast in the Lord. In other words, Jesus became everything that we needed. He is the wisdom we need. He is the righteousness we need. He is the sanctification that we need. He is the wisdom of God. Colossians 2.3 says, In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so here's the good news. You can read the book of Proverbs written by Solomon, son of David. But understand this, that 2,000 years ago, one greater than Solomon came, one wiser than Solomon, more righteous than David. He has come and he has become the wisdom of God for us. Because here's the reality. Look at Proverbs 3 again. When we look at the first three verses, we can't even get past the first three verses of Proverbs 3 and know that we are in big trouble. Notice, my son, do not forget my teaching. Hey, I sometimes forget what I taught last week, and I'm the teacher. But let your heart keep my commandments. We fail. For in length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. But notice verse 3. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Well, I can memorize. I can meditate. But I can't write God's law into my heart. Well, here's the good news. Jesus obeyed the law for us. Jesus obeyed the Proverbs for us. And he rose again from the dead so that he could write God's law on our hearts. And so that's good news. But listen, the good news gets better. Not only did Jesus live the Proverbs for us, but Jesus lives Proverbs through us. Think about that. He lived them for us, but now he wants to live them through us. You see, the surrendered life is to have the wisdom and righteousness of Christ play out to the very edges of every aspect of our lives. Think about that. You see, applying the book of problems, uh, the book of problem, applying the book of Proverbs is not a problem for us. Why? Because Christ applied them for us and we can receive his 
wisdom and righteousness as a free gift. Surrender is a scary word. Surrender, though, is not a problem because we have the living Son of God who surrendered His life to become human. He humbled Himself and became obedient even to the point of a cross death. And He was so obedient, so surrendered, and He gave His life for sinners that Christ, or His Father, highly exalted Him and gave Him a name above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. We'll talk more about that in two weeks. But here's the idea. Jesus is our wisdom. So ultimately, if you take anything away from this lesson, I want you to take away this definition of wisdom. Wisdom is the spirit-empowered skill to live like Christ for the glory of God. Wisdom is the spirit-empowered skill to live like Christ for the glory of God. And is it any wonder that Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1.23, we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block, and to Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are called, those who are called by the Father for His salvation, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Beloved, This is good news. Proverbs is a person. And it's a person who shed his blood for sinners like you and me, who rose from the dead to give his righteousness and his wisdom to us. And so I just want to invite you this morning to reflect on this Jesus, who is a king greater than Solomon, And He can be your wisdom and salvation today as a free gift from His Father. But what we have to do is repent of our foolishness, our self-sufficiency. We need to repent from being wise in our own eyes, thinking we know better than God. And we need to receive Jesus by faith as our risen king. And then guess what? He becomes, we give him our sinfulness. He becomes our righteousness. We give him our foolishness. He becomes our wisdom. And guess what? Moment by moment, we can rely on his spirit to live a surrendered heart from a heart made new by him. So I want to encourage you, all of us, If you haven't yet received Christ, do so. And in the comments there, uh, there is a connection card. And if you're making a, a decision to accept Christ or to recommit to Christ or to begin to not only treat Christ as your Savior, but actually live like He is your Lord, because that's what He is. He is Lord and Savior. And He will change your heart so that you can live a life 
that is wise and successful in God's eyes. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come and we are grateful that Proverbs is not just a book of life hacks that you can find on any web page on the internet. Proverbs is a person. It's the king that is wiser than Solomon. He is sinless like David wasn't. And he is a savior and Lord who can change our lives, forgive our sins, grant us a heart, write his word, his wisdom, his law upon our hearts and enable us to live a fully surrendered life. Lord, I pray that in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the frustration, we will be a wise people who live fully surrendered to you. And we ask this in the glorious name of Jesus, who is our wisdom. And we pray, amen, amen. Hey, we will take next weekend off and then we'll see you in two weeks, 930 right here. God bless you. 